Hi guys, and welcome back to Tales from Wisteria Lane, the podcast where we give you a fair view of all things Desperate Housewives. Your child likes me more than they like you, and I'm Joel. <laughs> and I am a goth that likes rainbows, Billy Ray. They don't exist. I'm right here. You're a gay goth. <laughs> <laughs> and today we will be discussing season five, episode 15, in a world where kings are employers. So I will be giving the overview of the episode today and B will be grossing us with his trivia. So babe, do you have anything to get started off? Yes. So this was written by Laurie Kirkland Baker and directed by David Grossman. And it first aired on the 15th of February, 2009. The title is a line from the song Liaisons from Stephen Sondheim's musical, A Little Night Music from 73. Bit of trivia here as well. When Orson Hodge is on the phone with the manager at Bree Hodge's bank, Orson tells the manager that he doesn't know Bree's true hair colour, alluding to the fact that Bree's natural hair colour is not red. Ironically, Marsha Cross or Bree's true hair colour is red. Oh, well, it is, yeah, because he does say, oh, why don't you ask me about her real hair colour? I, I can tell you it's not what you think. That was a scandalous line. That was a scandalous line. The carpets clearly don't match the drapes in the Hodge household. There's a goofer as well. MJ tells Susan that Catherine has taught him that when playing blackjack, always double down on a pair of aces. But apparently the correct play when dealt two aces is to split and to never double. Oh, so Catherine can't play blackjack. Nor can I, so I wouldn't have spotted that. No. And also, I've just highlighted a review that I found on IMDb because I thought it was funny. (laughs) Oh, we haven't done reviews in a long time. It's a review by JCW0111. Shout out to you. And it's from the 25th of April 2022, so it's quite recent. Oh, damn. The title is Susan Ruins Everything. (laughs) (laughs) And the review says, Nothing wrong with the episode in general, but Susan who is already completely awful, really outdoes herself in selfishness here. She really shouldn't have any friends. Was that you? Did no. you write that review? No, I just really wanted to call it out on the podcast. <laughs> I don't, so whoever JCW0111 is, I completely agree. Well, I do remember saying in the latest episode of the podcast that we were already slagging off Susan because she was insufferable in that previous episode. And I did say it gets worse in the next episode and we are about to see it. Oh, I do. I do remember. Was that all the trivia you had? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, previously on Desperate Housewives, Dave killed Dr. Hellier in order to further his plans for world domination. Lynette and Tom are struggling financially since the nightclub fire. Carlos's new job is apparently going very successfully. And Susan got a new job as an art teacher assistant in order to get MJ into private school. Uh, so let's start with Gabby. Gabby and Carlos are out with Bradley and Maria since Carlos has started working for their company. Their marriage has apparently never been better. And by their marriage, I do mean Bradley and Maria's marriage. And even though they are thanking Gabby and Carlos for saving their marriage, there won't be a bonus coming Carlos's way. And this dinner out is his bonus. So this news that Carlos won't be getting this bonus that they were preparing for breaks the heart of Gabby. And you can hear the distant wails of Gabby's jeweler as well. Yeah, I mean, he makes a lot of money, so it's not the worst thing in the world, but... It sounds like he is putting in so much overtime and he's probably working very hard. So it does kind of suck to not get something nice at the end of the year. Yeah, and Maria in this scene is insufferable. (laughs) She's like, oh, but Gabby, nobody's getting a bonus. Not even Bradley. Shut up, Maria. You're not part of this conversation, all right? You don't, you're not in this company. Yeah, and you're not helping. No, you're not. Shut up. (laughs) So Gabby is at her jewelers giving him the sad news that she can't afford her order. And that's when she sees Bradley walk past. So she goes to follow him and ends up seeing him making out with someone who isn't Maria. Oh, um, 
anyone that knows Gabby knows where this is go- this is going. Yeah. Instead, he's making out with Megan Hilty, who most people I know this is not my episode to do trivia, but I just know this naturally. This this isn't trivia to me. Most people will recognise this other woman as Megan Hilty, who was in Smash. The musical TV series Smash, which was huge at the time, especially for musical theatre kids, and she has a voice like no other. So, woo! Get a little shout out to Megan Hilty right there. That is good trivia because me and Joel are going to be watching that soon because he's going to show it to me. Yes. So Bradley sees Gabby as he drives off, and before Gabby even gets home to speak with Carlos, Bradley is there to like straight up be the one to tell him that he will be getting a bonus after all. And so Gabby takes some time to haggle with Bradley, and she gets the bonus up to thirty k. Yeah, Carlos is like, what? you doing yeah carlos is looking at gabby like oh my god gabby like calm down (laughs) also a twenty thousand dollar raise like that is insane yeah that is absolutely insane but bradley does advise them to keep it quiet because carlos is going to be the only one getting this bonus i don't mind the bonus haggling but they really do have to tell the wife morally speaking you have to tell the wife right no is it is morally the right thing to do to forewarn Maria especially because Maria has become a friend like they've become close to Maria and Bradley they saved their marriage yeah and we see it a little bit later in this very episode anyway that um oh actually in the next scene that I'm about to talk about that Maria comes to Gabby for various things so they seem Gabby and Maria seem to have developed a bond as well Maria pops by Gabby's place to thank her once again for saving their marriage and ask Gabby to do some detective work and apparently she wants to buy Bradley a golf club as a gift for being a wonderful husband and they're in marriage counselling, but apparently they stopped as they don't feel like they need it. And Gabby tries to convince her to stay in counselling, and this when Carlos comes home to hear this and drags Gabby away to stop her from getting involved. <laughs> baseball bat's cheaper. And baseball bat is cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> and so this is when Gabby tells Carlos everything, you know, the real reason why he got his bonus and so on, and Carlos wants to go in and tell Maria, but Gabby's not interested in giving the money back or getting involved in their issues. I'm getting a bonus. No one else is getting based on blackmail. This is illegal. It is illegal. You're welcome. And bravo, Carlos. Like, this is growth for Carlos. Carlos in season one would not have known the difference between what was legal and illegal, clearly. I don't know, because here's the thing with Gabby and Carlos. Every other episode, the other one is the voice of reason, and the other one is doing the immoral, illegal thing. So it's like, they have growth, and then they just revert back. (laughs) That's true, but... It's funny. At least in the latter half of the show, so like this half of the show that we are in, after the five-year time jump, Carlos seems to be much more the voice of reason than Gabby. Well, yeah. Carlos isn't actively trying to better himself as a person, and Gabby's like an anchor that's weighing him down. (laughs) Oh, he's had a lot of time to think. (laughs) He has. Okay, Maria and Bradley have come over to tell them that they're pregnant and they want Gabby and Carlos to be the godparents to their child. (laughs) And they very awkwardly agree. That is clearly. It did escalate, yeah. Uh, Maria notices Gabby's bracelet, which is obviously the bracelet that Gabby got from her jewellers with the bonus, but she tells Maria that she isn't liking it as much as she thought she would. Yeah. Oh, they still should have told her. It's blood money. Gabby's there like, I can't tell you it's blood money, but it's blood money, basically. They really still should have told her. Like, I know they don't want to give her problems during her pregnancy, but come on. Yeah, I mean, it's awkward to tell her with Bradley around as well. What are you going to do? Are you just going to hold the baby when, you know, they they get the water dunked on their head and just keep going with it? Mm. In the house of the Lord? (laughs) In the house of the Lord. But yeah, so that is Gabby and Carlos' story. Yeah, it's quite funny. It's It's quite fun. It's just a simple background story for the episode. It's nice that there's a bit of an, it escalates a little bit and then there's nothing that they can do. And it's like, uh uh-oh, what will Gabby and Carlos get themselves into next time? (laughs) Right, like these two are clearly the worst people in the world to be godparents. Oh my God, they're terrible. Are you kidding me? (laughs) 
but oh well. So, Brianna Hodge and Orson Hodge are over to see Andrew and Alex's new, fully decorated home, and to Orson's surprise, it's beautiful with expensive items and beautiful crystal, which they serve party mix in. Because, <laughs> I guess in this clip that I'm, we're about to play, Bree does call them children. Oh no, that's not in the clip, that got cut. I can't remember. The fact oh, well. that they have enough money to think that they can serve party mix in Christmas. Right, Bree's like, it just seems like a lot of money because they're children. And then when we were listening to the clip, Bree was like, they're grown adults, they're not children, but they are serving party mix and cut crystal. So maybe they are children. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, we have a clip. Is that cut crystal? Andrew again. He's got expensive taste. Thank God he brings in the big bucks. He does? Well, he does now, ever since you gave him that raise. This is a delicious snack. Did you make this? Uh, yeah, it's just party mix. <sighs> you give Andrew a raise? A tiny salary bump. Tiny is not the word for your extraordinary generosity. Oh, look, there's pretzels and cereal. I can see why they call it party mix. It's like a party in a bowl. Oh, Bray. It's so funny to hear things in audio form and you can't see the champagne bottle pop because I, I kept hearing him thinking, who's doing that? <laughs> it's just a pop in the background. Orson's like, you gave him a raise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was Orson tongue pop. It was Alex tongue popping at the drama between Orson and Bree. So in the background, like... <laughs> I can't believe she didn't tell Orson. Why? Because it's... They've, it's not his company. They're, but it's... they're already going through some weird times in their relationship because of the company and because of him being a partner and all the, the drama that's already happened around this stuff. And now she's just giving up raises without telling her the partner of the company. And it's just like, oh, Brie, you're... Orson is you're not, not a partner, though. But she's not making life easy for herself, is she? No, but Orson isn't a partner, so it's oh, none no, of his business. Oh, no, because he was a partner, but then we changed that. Yeah. Sorry. Now he just works for Brie. And as it's mentioned later, Brie pays him fairly for his expertise and contribution. Yes. So, yeah, like, at the end of the day, they're married. It probably would have been polite of Brie to tell Orson, oh, I'm, I feel like Andrew deserves a salary bump. And Orson, at the time, probably would have said, you're right, I agree with you. But because he's found out this way, and he's got such fragile masculinity, he's now pissed. Oh my god, he really does. Really does. He's the kind of guy that's like, oh, but I'm older, so I should be paid more. And it, I, I, yeah. I got a degree. It's like, yeah, you got a degree in something that doesn't have anything to do with what you're doing right now. He's there like, oh, oh, for God's sake, I'm more educated than everyone. No, you're not. Mm. You're more of a felon than most people in the room. I mean, he is more educated than Andrew, but well, yeah. that doesn't mean that he knows anything more about this job than Andrew. No, absolutely not. Same. Also notices in the next scene that Andrew is writing with a very fancy pen when Bree suddenly turns up with news that an issue has arisen with their upcoming event. Apparently, Andrew's already got it covered in advance and saved the day and also comes up with an idea to charge them for more. You see, this is why I got a raise. He shows that he's good at his job, he shows initiative, and he shows forward thinking. Yeah, like he is, Andrew is earning his wage right here. Also, she's cooking for the Chamber of Commerce. This. That's more well known than the Chamber of Full Stops. That's brilliant. Yeah, I know, right? The Chamber of Exclamation Points is where it's at next. She, That's the next step. Someone is doing very well in this company. Yeah. So Orson is clearly incapable of letting this whole money thing go, and he's trying to find out how much Andrew earns, but Brie rightfully tells Orson that it's none of his business what she pays Andrew. Right, that pen has sent him over the edge. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> he's like, oh my god, that pen's amazing, and the cut crystal, and the beautiful bottle of wine that they served. Right, I'm still using a biro. <laughs> he's there with his bick. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so Orson then starts to question if Andrew's earning more than him. And then later on, Orson tries to log into the company's bank system to figure out how much Andrew is paid. So he doesn't get very far because there's a password that Orson doesn't know, which is the name of Bree's pet. And so he keeps just kind of yelling out generic dog names, Spot, Fido. Lassie. Lassie. Fluffy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Bob. Big yeller. <laughs> Big, do you mean old yeller? Oh, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. It's an American dog, isn't it? Old yeller. I love that he starts to panic. Though he's like, "Well, I can tell you anything else. I am the husband. I, I can tell the, tell you her real hair color." Yeah. What's her real hair color? I know. Now we all want to know. Like, is she? How often is she dyeing her hair? I her hair must be fucked. Oh my god. So anyway, Orson in the next scene tries to sneakily and as I said, use that word very loosely because it's really obvious what he's doing. Find out what Bree's pet name is by figuring out what her porn name would be. And we've all done this, okay? We all know what it is. You're supposed to take the name of your pet and the name of the road that you grew up on and that's your porn name. No, it's not. Where I grew up, it was the name of your first pet and your mother's maiden name. Well, yeah, I know. But in this in this show, it's it's this. So... What would yours be, based on these the show rules? Ellie Frinsbury? That's a bit of a generic porn name. What about uh, you? Okay. Mine would be mine would be Tigger Sidings. <laughs> <laughs> At least yours sounds gay. Yeah, I know, right? Mine's a girl. <laughs> yeah. So was Tigger. Yeah, but Tigger could be a boy's name. Could it? Well, Tigger is a boy in the show. That's true. That <laughs> is true. So yeah, it'd be Tigger Sidings. But yeah. Bree, it turns out, or like he, he eventually manages to manipulate her into getting involved. I love that in you, this game. I love that you say that because I did write the manipulation. Yeah, he knows Bree so well that he can get her to tell him. But what he doesn't realize is there's like five answers because apparently Bree had tons of different pets and she moved around a lot, <laughs> which is not a surprise. So. He gets her favourite, and he's pleased with that. Yeah. So Orson comes storming in, annoyed that Andrew makes twice as much as he does. Bree stands by what she pays Andrew, rightfully so, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, it's none of his business, even though double is very extreme, but yeah. still. Well, yeah, I guess it is. But Orson seems to think that being her husband makes a difference. And Yes, he... we all know how you got your job. <laughs> Bree. He gets on his high horse telling Bree that he's more educator than everyone, but Bree's son being successful is apparently an issue for Orson, who thinks that this means Bree sees him as worthless. Yeah. There's a difference between worthless and worthless. Well, yeah, that's, but... well, that's what Bree says. I'm not saying you're worthless, I'm just saying you're worth less. <laughs> it's a very fine line here from Bree, though, because the way that she's <laughs> the way she says it, it's like even in her head, she's like, oh, this sounds bad. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, this is just complete ego talk from Orson, and it's disgusting, and I hate him. You can't just walk into a place and think, because I have a degree and because I'm older, I should get paid more. It doesn't work that way. Orson is Andrew's stepdad. Mm. Yeah, like he's grown up with Andrew now. Andrew was a, you know, a teenager when Orson came into their life. So you would have thought that Orson would want what's best for Andrew. And to see Andrew succeed in, in a company... It's like how we spoke about Orson in a previous episode, where if he's not the breadwinner, it's threatening. Yeah. No, just... not, not Orson, actually. That was Rex in a flashback. But oh, that's true. Same with Orson. Bree has a type. Yeah. <laughs> so Andrew asks Orson to cover him as they did not receive the full delivery of goblets, apparently. So he needs to run to the supplier and collect the rest. I'm guessing they're doing like a Harry Potter themed dinner at the Chamber of Commerce or something. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's Halloween. Before Andrew goes, Orson compliments him on his work and tells him Bree is lucky he's working for her. And Andrew thanks him and he leads and Orson notices Andrew's lovely expensive pen and steals it. Right. No more fucking biros. Orson, see, okay, this starts the whole storyline of Orson being a kleptomaniac. Yeah. 
And also what I've noticed so far, because I've watched the next episode as well, so it happens in the next episode. And what I've noticed with Orson is that he always steals the thing that he notices and points out that he's noticed. Surely you wouldn't steal the thing you have acknowledged to that person. Right. There's going to be a pattern. (laughs) If you're going to steal something of someone's because you're a bit of a klepto, then don't steal the thing that you've already announced that you've noticed. Yeah, he needs to take some advice from Marie from Breaking Bad, quite frankly. Oh, is she a klepto too? Yeah, he's not doing a very good job here. No, but it's early klepto days. You know, you've got to make some klepto mistakes before you can become the best klepto. So Andrew's going out and Orson has to hold down the fort. And I thought, in my head, (laughs) he's holding down the fort and I thought, (laughs) this is the time for him to prove what he's worth, but he'd rather just be childish and steal a pen. (laughs) Steal his stepson's pen. Right? He's like, like, steal his stepson's pen. And then how? what are you going to do with that, Orson? Because you can't use it. Right? Why didn't he just conjure up a situation in which Andrew looks like a div? Right? Why don't you just push Andrew down the stairs? Or that. Um, Okay, let's move on to Lynette. It's apparently dead at the restaurant, and Lynette thinks it's probably best to close up early, but Tom has a hilarious idea. (laughs) And (laughs) he makes all the staff take off their aprons and get them to sit at windows so they laugh every time someone walks past. And apparently this attracts people inside who thinks the restaurant is busy. But then what are they going to do when everyone that's sat down suddenly stands up to start surfing? That would be re- I would be freaked out if I took a right. step into that restaurant. I'd think I just walked into some weird, like, mob mob scene show choir thing. Yeah, I feel like it's, it's like, dinner theatre. Like, is this a TikTok <laughs> restaurant? What's happening? So he pulls Lynette to the side, and she's concerned that this isn't just a slump and they need to decide what to do as they are very close to going bankrupt. But Tom wants Lynette to have a little faith, faith, faith. But she's more of a realist, and she needs Tom to finally start thinking properly. But it's been five and a half seasons. Tom's not started thinking properly. It's not going to start right now. Yeah, but this this is such a funny scene. You know, with like, all the, the laughing in the background. She's yeah. saying things that are so sad and true, and then you've got this studio audience behind them. <laughs> it really does. It feels like a sitcom. Like I'm watching Friends again. <laughs> also. It probably doesn't help the infinitely sad quietness of the restaurant. Why don't you play some music or something? Yeah, true. It's like deadly silent in there. So Thomas called a family meeting and Lynette gives the kids a heads up that things are tough and he's ready to sell the business. And he comes (laughs) home and tells everyone that he laid off their workforce and as of tomorrow, the kids are his new wait staff. Much to everyone's disgust, especially as before Tom even started talking, Lynette said, whatever you decide, we're here for you. I'm nine. Is that even legal? Yeah, that's really shitty. Look, Lynette, I know you said you were going to support him, but I am disappointed that she doesn't stop this dead in its tracks. Yeah, I know. Like, Tom... I don't understand how this is fair. Oh, we'll just get some free child labour. Well, that's literally what it is. Like, Tom's got it worked out, and the kids are all naturally resistant to it. Penny, because she's only nine. Everyone else, because they're not even getting paid. And, um... Lynette pulls him aside to try and talk some sense into him, but Tom's not ready to let things go until he has tried everything. And as Lynette told Tom, they're behind him 100%, and so her hands are tied, and she has to agree. Even though she doesn't actually have to agree. She could literally have held her hands up and said, I know I said I was behind you 100%, but that was until I heard your moronic idea. Lynette is just as bad for letting this happen, quite frankly. Oh, yeah. And that is my opinion, and that, and I'm sticking to it. So the restaurant seems to be doing okay the next day, or the kids are working. Also, don't these kids have homework? After school clubs and shit. Yeah, I'm, I don't think it's healthy for kids to come straight home from school and then go straight to work all the time. No, not every day. And Tom's plan was, oh yeah, me and Lynette will handle the lunch and then kids will join us in the afternoons. Two people on the lunch, two people to cook and wait and serve. And like, what? Yeah, th- like failure. This restaurant is going down, 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 down. 
So the restaurant seems to be doing okay and the kids are all working their little socks off. Penny was on salads until she lost her plaster and Parker was handling the cash until he was stealing people's money and Porter and Preston are arguing over who gets to serve the hot girl and Lynette's running around putting out fires before they manage to get started and Tom's acting all smug and he's like, mm, see, things are going well. Didn't I tell you they were going well? And Lynette's like, Die. Things are not going well. I, I, I like kids should not be working mm. at all. You know, I'm no. so against it. It's like when farmer kids grow up working on the farm. You're like, let them be kids. Let them be kids. There is enough of our life that is smashed with work. We spend fifty plus years working solidly, like eight hours a day, five days a week more. So for people that are in retail or and let's not forget this is America or, and it's a lot worse in America. Yeah. And so they're not just, even legally given more than one week of holiday. No. So just let children enjoy their opportunity to have zero responsibilities and just play. be a kid and play around and enjoy their freedom because they won't get it soon. Yeah. <laughs> Tom, come on. So I'm guessing it's later on in the day, like in the evening or it might be another day. But at Scarbo's, they have a big rush and Porter and Preston take a break and run off. But Tom and Lynette go after them, and apparently those kids go to their school, and so they're refusing to wait on them, as they think it's humiliating. You know what? Fair enough. You're not getting paid. No, I so would... So when he's like, what are you going to do, fire me? I was like, yeah, you tell him. <laughs> Look, I'd be exactly the same as those kids. I'd be like, he literally bullied... He's called me Jesus for a year because I wore sandals once. Like, I'm well, not serving him. Well, then you shouldn't have worn freaking sandals to school, you crazy person. Yeah, I know. Sandals, <laughs> ugh. Tom takes this personally, but before Lynette can calm Tom down, he grabs one of the twins and starts throwing him against the wall in a rage. And then this is when Lynette's like, no, this has gone too far now. And she yells at Tom and pushes him off the twin. And I'm saying the twin because I'm not sure what one he's grabbed. (laughs) Well, they look very similar. (laughs) So the twin is cowering against the wall and Parker catches the end of it. And Tom goes to take the big rush, like people's orders. And he leaves the family where they stand. Yeah. um, No notes. No. Tom is being physically abusive. I don't really need to have any notes. No, right. There's, there is no excuse for this scene. To, like, to, for you to physically abuse your child because you failed your at your own company. Yeah, because you feel inferior. Yeah. What can I say? I mean, Lynette, now it's gone too far. Like, the physical abuse wasn't the bit that pushed it over the edge. Mm. It was your children working for free in just, your restaurant. Come on. Just be happy that your business lasted this long. Like, what, seven years, maybe? It was a five-year time jump. They had it for, what, a year and a half, two years before we had the five-year time jump? Yeah, I think something like that. That is a lot for a business, okay? Most businesses don't get past it one or two years. It's a lot longer than when you'd get what you'd get in Canterbury. Yeah. It's, like, almost impossible to keep a restaurant open in Canterbury. So Also, they, had a, they did have a pretty good run. Like, their opening was great. They had some solid years. Yeah. It's just a shame that their practical decisions were impractical. True. <laughs> their business decisions kind of sucked a lot yeah. most of the time. Yeah. You know? And they were also very lucky that the twins, when they were actually little kids, burnt down their competition. Yeah. So Lynette comes over to Tom, who's getting their accounts in order, ready for them to sell. And Lynette sort of thanks Tom in her own way for finally coming to her senses. And then she goes to get ready for a good dicking. Yeah, this scene pit, like really disturbed me. Oh, yeah. Oh, do you know what? When I saw you throw our child against the wall, oh, I was turned on, mama. Like, <laughs> Tom is clearly 
in a really bad way. Like, he is so depressed, like, signing these papers. And she goes up to him and she's, like, kissing him like this and getting ready to take him to the bedroom. And I thought, what about the past 24 hours has turned you on? Yeah. I do not understand. No, I would not be giving Tom a, a dicking. What was it? The poor customer service and the scamming of the customers, the plastering the pizzas, the physical abuse of your child, or Tom looking distressed? <laughs> what has turned you on here? There's nothing more sexy than child labour. Oh, God. And that's basically the end of Tom and Lynette's little story. Yeah, it was interesting. It was pretty cool. I, like, I enjoyed it. It was interesting. We'll do Edie next. Um, Edie's trying to convince Dave to go away for the weekend with her so they can relax, when suddenly she hears a buzzing noise, and apparently it's not the first time she's heard it, but she has no idea what it is or where it's coming from. It's probably a beehive in the, I was in the say, attic, love. I do you love. really not know what a vibrating sound is? It's obviously a phone. Yeah. She seems to be getting closer to the noise when Dave suddenly agrees to the weekend away to get Edie to go and, like, ignore the buzzing and call the travel agent so that he can be alone. And then it's a can... good thing for him that Edie is very easily distracted by nice things. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> He's suddenly like, do you know what? Yeah, do it. And do you know what? You can plan the whole thing. Now get out. And then she just completely forgets about the phone and she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so he grabs the hidden phone and is listening to the voicemail and it's Dr. Hellier's phone, essentially. And uh, Dave's pretending to be him, so nobody figures out he's dead. And he seems to be texting his assistant, who has no idea it's Dave, but also no idea where Dr. Heller is. And her voicemail basically says that if he isn't back by the 15th, she will start telling people that she's got no idea where he is, and he is not responding to her. Hold on, we've met this lady. Has she really been keeping it going for this long? Girl, like, you need to think about your own life. Get a job. (laughs) This is her job. (laughs) Get another job. So, it's clearly things that... Are unraveling with Dave. He's now realizing he's on a bit of a tight time frame to world domination. And so he needs to start upping the ante with his plans and speeding them up, basically. Yeah. Especially if he's only got to the 15th before people probably start to question the whereabouts of Dr. Heller and, and so on. Uh, so Dave walks over to Mike to ask him if him and Catherine are interested in going camping this weekend. And it looks like Dave's starting to worry, basically. So Mike is up for it and is sure that Catherine will be too, as long as she knows that Edie's coming. It's great that they have friends that can just go away with them at the drop of a hat like that. Yeah, he's like, oh, you're free this weekend. Sure. Yeah, I've got nothing to do. I'm just a self-employed plumber. (laughs) True. And Catherine doesn't seem to have a job. Right. Yeah, true. I mean, God, she was supposed to be working for Brie, but God knows what's happened there. So Edie tells Dave that she's got everything arranged for the weekend, but this is when he tells her that he can't go as he's supposed to be camping with Mike and Catherine and he forgot all about it. Lies. I know, right? So Edie won't go. She's not a camping gal. No, she's more of a glamper. Yeah. So Dave asks her not to tell Catherine and Mike because he's worried that Catherine won't go if Edie doesn't. But he promises to take Edie away next weekend instead as long as she keeps a trap shut. And he then texts Dr. Heller's assistant to say he'll be back for the staff meeting so she doesn't need to worry. So it seems like Dave's getting ready to do whatever he wants to do to Mike at the camping trip this weekend. Because he's just like, yeah, do you know what, Edie? We'll go wherever you want after this. I think Edie's version of camping is more just caravanning. If she could get like a really nice caravan with a champagne cooler in it then she'd be all up for it she wants a bougie tent that's what she wants you know those like tp tents where they actually have <laughs> beds inside and stuff yeah like a tent that's held up by actual logs and shit because yeah. it's so heavy but instead what dave is planning is camping with the latrine and shit yeah like actual camping yeah like that scene in you where he's like oh we only eat what we kill and no no absolutely not you know i don't really have many notes at all for this other than when 
Dave wears his suit and he has the the collar done up, like the top button done up and the tie is so high. He looks like a really huge child in their first suit. Did you see his tiny hands <laughs> no. in this episode? Oh. <laughs> no, but he has the top button done up and the tie is so high. And I was like, you look like when a child wears their first suit, but like a massive version of it. Maybe he is a child because he does have tiny hands. <laughs> Vincent Adultman. <laughs> <laughs> He's like five children standing up in a suit. <laughs> So uh, we'll move to Susan now, who's the last story of the episode. Um, Saved the best for last. I know. I knew we'd have a lot to talk about with this. So Susan is preparing for her first day, a new job, and MJ's first day at his new school, when suddenly MJ is sick. Sod's law. Being incredibly inconvenient, she runs him over to Mike's, but he has to work too, so he's unable to take him. And after a scolding from Susan, he figures out he doesn't really have a leg to stand on, and he takes his sick son inside. I know, poor little MJ. But MJ clearly agrees that it is Mike's responsibility to look after him today. Yeah. Like, he grabs he, like, the teddy bear and the teddy gives it and... to Mike, as yeah. if to say... You are the lady. <laughs> You're looking after me. I do agree with Susan at this moment right now. You know, it is Susan's first day at her new job. So therefore that kind of does take precedence over Mike. Yeah, let's be a bit fair. So later that day, Susan comes back to Mike's to pick up her son and finds a note from Catherine letting Susan know that MJ's at hers. Susan was listening to MJ adorably telling her that Catherine was a lovely babysitter, making him food, reading to him and teaching him how to gamble. And Susan doesn't seem too pleased that Mike palmed his son off onto his girlfriend so he could go to work so she grabs mj and goes i mean i don't really know what susan wants one in the last episode she wanted him to work 24 hours around the clock and pick up extra shifts and now he finds a way to actually make money and get to work and she's like no don't work how dare you you're supposed to be looking after a child what do you want susan like what do you want from this Catherine is your friend anyway so you should be able to trust her to take care of mj and she seemed like she was more than happy to do it she's probably thrilled that she's bonding so well with her partner's child yeah and she had a kid so it's pretty nice memories and shit yeah and it looks like she's the cool gay aunt i don't get like making pretentious foods and like teaching them how to gamble that's the kind of auntie i'd have killed (laughs) she just doesn't like her no, she's getting used to having to share Mike and yeah. therefore sharing MJ to a certain extent, really. Like the reviewer said, Susan's the worst. So Mike has come over to Susan's at her request through Catherine and Susan still seems to be butthurt that Mike gave MJ to Catherine and he warns her that it's going to keep happening as he has a job as well. But Susan puts her foot down and tells Mike that he has joint custody so that he can see his child, not push him onto his girlfriend and she will take custody away if that happens. I can't believe she says this. Well, maybe you should give him custody on days when he can actually have off then. Yeah. What do you want? Like, that's a really horrible threat. Like, yes, he's got custody. And on the the days where Mike has custody, he sees MJ. But that day wasn't a day that he had custody. That day was a school day. MJ was supposed to be at school. Like, it's really shitty for Susan to just go so low and be like, if I find out that you've given our son to your girlfriend again, I'm taking him away from you. Like, But also, what do you think will happen? You've lost your big book job, right? So she now has a new job and she's a single mum. Whereas Mike has a full-time self-employed job where he's making decent enough money and a girlfriend who can look after MJ all the time. If you try and do this, you'll probably lose him. Yeah. So Susan storms over to Catherine's again to pick up MJ as Mike didn't pick him up from school and left him with his girlfriend, which Susan asked him not to do. But Catherine can tell that something's wrong this time and tells Susan she was just trying to help. And then in the next scene, Susan is sat with MJ who isn't happy with the lunch served to him. (laughs) 
<laughs> and instead he wants a panini. Such a diva. As, right? As Susan doesn't know how to make one. And uh, MJ's like, do we have any provolone? <laughs> when she what said... provolone? I have no idea. When she said, I don't know how to make a panini, I was confused. I was like, what do you mean you don't have to... It's just bread. It's a sandwich, but like, it's a, a different type of bread. Are you sure you don't just... What you mean is that you don't have paninis? Oh, he's saying provolone, not provolone. What's provolone? Provolone is cheese. It's an Italian cheese, an aged pasta velata cheese originating in Campania near Vesuvius, where it's still produced in pear, sausage, or cone shapes. You know, a panini with some fancy cheese, that does sound good. <laughs> I mean, yeah. But come oh, on. It's most similar to mozzarella. That's like its closest type of cheese. Yeah, mozzarella panini, bit of pesto. Yeah. Yum. Yeah, ham and mozzarella is what most kids would probably have, or tomato mozzarella. This like, is what I mean. Like that. Don't know how to make a panini. It's a fucking sandwich, Susan. Get a grip. And Susan's there like, in this household, we don't eat pretentious cheeses. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> we have honest American peanut butter, <laughs> right? Have some, have some, have some cheddar, you little shit. <laughs> have your fucking dairy. <laughs> uh, so Catherine obviously does know how to make a panini, and so Susan leaves MJ there with his peanut butter sandwich. I'm guessing is what it is. And MJ waits for Susan to jump in the shower, and then he walks over to Catherine to ask for a panini, telling her that Susan knows he's there, so he has straight up lied to Catherine. MJ, this is really bad. Yeah. Uh, so Susan comes out of the shower and notices MJ is missing and freaks, and she eventually sees him at Catherine's and storms over there to moan at Catherine for making her place seem more fun. So Susan calls Catherine devious, apparently using MJ to get her hooks in deeper into Mike. And she tells Catherine that MJ is no longer allowed to come over to Catherine's house, but she drops the bomb that her and Mike are moving in. So it'd be pretty hard. Catherine's clearly had enough. She's like, you know what, Susan? What are you going to do about it? Yeah. <laughs> also, the irony, and I'm wondering if you noticed this, although you might not have, the irony of Terry Hatcher accusing Catherine of being the other mother. Yes, I have a note. You're doing everything you can to make him think that you're the other mommy. Coming from the other mother. Coming coming from the legitimate other mother herself, Terry Hatcher. (laughs) Yeah. For anyone that has no idea, Terry Hatcher is the voice actress for the other mother in Coraline. Yeah, which if you haven't seen it, it's a fantastic film. So that was such a funny line. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Absolutely loved it. I was like, the absolute irony of this. (laughs) You're the other mother, Susan. I do feel bad for Susan here, though, because she must have been terrified when she couldn't find MJ. Like, he'd gone missing. Oh, yeah. That is such a panic moment. And is anybody going to um, call out MJ for the lying? Susan knows I'm here. No, she would rather just blame Catherine right away. Yeah. This isn't Catherine's fault. She's like, you make it like Disneyland over here. MJ was like the spoiled manipulative kid. Well, not on purpose, but kids can be manipulative, you know. Kids can be manipulative. God. And when kids have one thing on their mind, that's what their aim is at. MJ had panini on his mind. He wanted that provolone cheese. He wanted that good, authentic, like pretentious food. And because he wanted that, he's just going to tell Catherine anything she needs to hear to get that. <laughs> so when she's like, "Does your mum know you're here?" He's like, "Sure." You know, I really fancy panini now with oh. some like cheese and pesto, maybe some tomato. Do we have any provolone? <laughs> <laughs> he's adorable. I love him so much. <laughs> Absolutely love him so much. Uh, so that's Susan's story. So Susan was, as per usual, insufferable. Oh my God, Susan was the worst in this episode. A lot of the time, Susan's funny. Like, she makes up for it by being the klutzy funny one, but she was just a, an absolute dick. Yeah, like, there was, there was no comedy in Susan's story in this episode. It was just that insufferable sort of, I'm in control here and you'll do as I say. She's just mentality. been the partner 
in the divorce proceeding that everyone's everyone's scared of, like that one. Yeah. The monster partner. Yeah. The monster divorcee. Divorcee. <laughs> so that basically just did the end of the episode. And Mary Alice tells us that people leave their homes to go to work. That's basically what Mary Alice tells us. And she we, was overpaid for this episode. She let's, really let's was. <laughs> we see Susan in the classroom, Carlos in the office, Tom and Lynette at the restaurant, and Dave returns home to get ready for the upcoming camping trip where he will be crowned ruler of the world. Yeah. And that's the episode. Well then, let's move on to our next segment where Joel is going to give us the gayest and the straightest moment, starting with gayest moment. So, do you think? My award for gayest moment... It goes to Catherine for being the cool gay aunt that takes care of the child and cooks them amazing pretentious food and teaches them to gamble and just makes their place like Disneyland. Right? Oh, let's play naughty games and have nice bread and cheeses. Yeah. Love that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We aspire to be that gay uncle. Yeah. And then who do you have for straightest moment? My award for straightest moment. (laughs) Goes to Dave. Go on. For wanting to do the camping with the latrine. Like, what is it with men and wanting to do the whole experience? Like, hunting and eating only what you kill and latrines and, like, fucking intense and stuff. I understand the want to get away from general society and buildings and... And be one with nature. Be one with nature for a bit, survive on the land. I don't. But some men just make it so strange. Like, I'm sorry, if we're going camping and there isn't any sex in tents then I'm not interested. If it's not Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> but anyway, bravo, bravo, fucking bravo, Dave. <laughs> well done. Um, so those are my awards for gayest and straightest moment. And now we move on to B's awards for best and worst parent. So who do you have for the best parent? For the best parent? Best parent of the episode. So my award for best parent goes to Catherine for her excellent co-parenting skills. Oh, okay. Like Catherine. Like the fun stepmom. Yeah. I adore it. Yeah. It's so much nicer than just constantly seeing the evil stepmom, you know? That's true. Yeah, she could have been like the evil stepsister or stepmom in Cinderella. Susan would, like Terry Hasher would play a great evil stepmom. Well, she already played kind of an evil stepmom. What, the other mother? Yeah. Mm. Okay, well, bravo to Catherine. And who do you have for the worst parent? My award for... Worst parent of the episode. I'm going to do a Mean Girls and break up the award and give it out to <gasps> multiple people, you know? It's just plastic. <laughs> Snap. <laughs> We're going to give half of it to Tom and half of it to Lynette. Oh, okay. For oh, the child labor. You might as well have just not split it in half. It's going to go on the same mantle anyway. That's true, but now I've broke it. <laughs> and <laughs> I don't even have any glue. <laughs> I don't have another one until next week. And actually, funny enough, I'm pretty sure last week, or... The last episode, if you will, I said that because I didn't have a worst parent, I would try and give up two. Or- you did. No, you did definitely do that. I remember that. Or was it best parent? No, it was worst parent. No, it was worst parent. And funny enough, I didn't even have to try and think about it. <laughs> yeah, Tom and Lynette really do share in the worst parent this yeah. episode. I know that he's the one that got physical, but it wouldn't have, like, she allowed this. Yeah. Yeah, she did. It was not a good moment. Mm-hmm. So that was season five, episode 15, in a world where the kings are employers. If anyone would like to follow us or find us on the socials, where can they find us for any questions, queries, comments and theories? You can find us on Instagram at Boyfriends Review and you can find us on Twitter at BFS Review. We also have email, which is boyfriendsreview at outlook.com and our artwork is done by Louis, who you can find at Doc Redmonk Design. 
and he has an Etsy page where you can find him for commissions. And join us next time when we'll be back in those beautiful ear holes with Season 5, Episode 16, Crime Doesn't Pay. We will see you then, guys. See you then. Goodbye. Goodbye.